To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over to those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to, the, to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety upon him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Liz. Um, we're coming to the end of a series on 1 Peter, the epistle that Peter wrote to new churches in what we now know as modern-day Turkey, which was then Asia Minor. Um, and this is chapter 5 of the letter. Um, and Jonathan's going to be summing everything up um, next week. So this is the penultimate time we're looking at the first letter to Peter, of Peter, rather. So let's pray before we start. Lord Jesus, thank you for these words that are written down that we can learn such a lot from. I pray that you will take what's been prepared and speak through it. And I pray that we will all hear you clearly this evening. In your name, amen. And so first of all, I have a question for you. Um, how do you react to power? What's your reaction? If somebody said to you, I want you to run the world for a week, and do anything you feel like with it, all the power is yours, what would you do? Let's have a think. And pretend as well that coronavirus isn't a thing, because I sort of prepared this a few weeks ago. So coronavirus is not a thing, so you don't have to worry about that. What would you do? Now, when I was thinking about this, I have to say, because I'm a really, really holy person, my first things were about James Bond villains. <laughs> sat there, sort of, you know, stroking cats and all that sort of thing. And, you know, total world domination has got its attractions, let's be honest. Um, or perhaps you'd channel the opportunities um, for good and set about redistributing wealth fairly. I've set Rogers off already. 
<laughs> you redistribute wealth fairly, if you're a better person than me. Or perhaps you'd just buy up all the chocolate factories worldwide and have them for your own personal use. That also would be an option. I decided to ask Katie Trainer, um, who's our children's minister, to ask at school what the school children thought. And they gave some really, really lovely replies. They're much nicer than I am, obviously. But these were the answers, some of the answers. They said they were going to sit on a beach and eat ice cream. They'd give everybody free sweets. They'd tell everyone to stop using plastic. They've been listening, haven't they? That's really good. Um, and they'd tell everyone to be nice to each other always. Oh, bless. I think the beach and the ice cream wins it for me, but they are just a whole lot nicer than I am, because they're a whole lot younger, I guess. Power, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? George Orwell, who wrote 1984, said this. We know that no one ever seizes power with the intention of relinquishing it. That is so true, isn't it? It might be slightly cynical, but I think it's pretty true, pretty accurate. And it's certainly the way that our world operates. Think about people like Robert Mugabe in Zimbabwe until recently. He did everything he could to hold on to power. And his classic quote was, only God can remove me from power. Yes, he did. Or think about some of the prime ministers we've had in the last century or so, who've uh, stayed on well beyond their sell-by date, quite frankly, um, or parties, similarly. And it's not just secular organisations who have this problem. I'm sure you all know of Christian organisations where the CEO or the leader refuses to step down or perhaps doesn't want to make succession plans or doesn't want to make room for new ideas and younger people to come in and help. This is a human problem. It's neither a secular nor a um, Christian problem. This is just part of human nature. But our reading today says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. It doesn't talk much about power, does it? Peter tells his readers that everybody needs to clothe themselves with humility. They've got to come under the rule of God in humility. Because it's God's job to raise people up to positions of leadership and potentially powerful positions. It's not something that is a human right. Clothe yourselves with humility. That's a really interesting phrase, isn't it? When we clothe ourselves in the morning, we intentionally put on clothes. Or at least I do. It doesn't happen by magic in my household. Might do in yours? Great. But it requires effort, doesn't it? You actually have to put on clothing. And it's the same with humility. He's talking about the fact that you have to choose to clothe yourselves with humility. And we've already noted that it's not something that us as human beings do that naturally, something that we have to work at. But who is it that Peter is talking to here? Who is it who needs this humility? Well, we've already said that this letter was written to brand new churches around Asia Minor. 
And Peter starts by talking to the elders, so the church leaders, if you like, in our terminology today. But for our purposes this evening, I want us to think beyond just the clergy, people who happen to be able to wear a bit of plastic here. I want to think about anybody who has any pastoral or leadership responsibility, um, either in church or in work. So, this would include clergy, obviously, but church wardens, children and youth leaders, regardless of what age you work with or have care of, you're still leading that group. Small group leaders, including university study groups, CU executive, or perhaps mentors and spiritual directors, people who have the role to guide people. And then outside of the church and outside of Christian circles, team leaders, project leaders, line managers, anything at work. And then in families, parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, and so on and so on and so on. I'm assuming that you all find yourselves in one of those categories. And if you don't, you can, I'm sure you can think of one that you're in. If you have pastoral responsibility for someone, you're in one of those groups, aren't you? And Peter refers to these leaders as shepherds of the flock. The flock being the people that they're leading. So, who were these shepherds and why was shepherd such um, an, a, a useful phrase for Peter? Well, their role was this. They were not people of high status at all. The significance of the shepherds going to visit the baby Jesus in the stable is the fact that they would not have been on the uh, first on the invite list of anybody who was going to go and see a brand new king. They wouldn't have been invited. They were living out in the hills, they were looking after their sheep, they were rough, they were often uneducated, and they were quite probably a bit smelly. It, they weren't, you know, on people's invite lists. And at that time, it was often the youngest son in the family who would be sent out to shepherd the family's flock. Do you remember back in the book of um, 1 Samuel, Samuel goes out and he looks for the next king of Israel. Saul has got it all wrong and he's been abandoned by God, basically. The anointing has gone from him. And Samuel is sent out to find the new king. And he goes to Jesse, who he's heard has got a lot of sons who look like very good king material. And he goes through a whole load of them. And they all look really fine, strong, upstanding men. And God says no to each one of them. And then he says, oh, have you got any more sons by any chance? He said, oh yeah, there's David. He's out with the sheep. And it was David that had God's anointing for kingship on him. But it was hard work being a shepherd, really hard work. It was long hours. It was 24-7, frankly. Often you were away for weeks and months at a time looking for good pasture. You would sleep across the entrance to the stone-built sheepfolds. You would protect the sheep. You'd be fighting off lions, wolves, other predators with a wooden staff and a sling. Oh, goody. But remember, David had a sling, didn't he, when he killed Goliath. So they were really good with these weapons. But it was not glamorous work. But it was essential. Because shepherds were protecting really valuable family assets. 
If they lost sheep, then they were losing income, they were losing food, clothing, and so on. These were valuable, these sheep. And they provided much of what was needed to live at that time. So it's really interesting then, isn't it, that Jesus and Peter both use this term to describe the role of looking after the people who are under their care, the flock. Now, on the face of it, it doesn't look like a terribly attractive role, does it? It's not one that people today, certainly, really want to aspire to. And Peter points out to his readers that actually there's no coercion from God at all. You don't have to become a shepherd of the flock. He says, don't do it because you feel forced into it. Do it because you want to, because you're willing to. And so being a shepherd, being a leader of people, shepherd of the flock, is a role that needs to be undertaken by people who have understood what's involved. They've counted the cost and that they still feel called to proceed. This should never be about status or power or control. That's not what this is about. It's about being a shepherd of people, about laying their lives down for people. In fact, it's a privilege and it's an honor to be allowed to lead people in this way. And it will involve long hours. It will have high stakes if you're looking after people. And the pay probably won't be great. I'm not really selling it to you, am I? This being a shepherd. But this is why the whole idea of humility is so vital. Jesus knew that the role of a shepherd was crucial. He called himself the good shepherd. And he told parables, didn't he, in the Gospels about shepherds guarding their flocks about going out looking for the lost one sheep when the 99 was safe and they were still going out looking for that one. Jesus was not at all concerned with status. He lived the life of an itinerant preacher when he was here on earth. He didn't care what he looked like. In fact, Jesus was the most humble person who ever lived. Paul describes him and his total humility in these words in Philippians chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." This isn't just any man that Paul is describing. This was the Son of God. The one who left all the glory of heaven and came down to live as one of us on this planet. To take up the role of a shepherd, willing to die for his flock. And do it for a bunch of people who really didn't get what he was going on. Even his closest friends didn't get what he was doing. And most people didn't want him either. So it's his example of leadership that we need to be following and learning from. So as I was thinking all this through, I I decided to have a look at what business leaders today are saying about what a good leader looks like. 
And it was quite surprising, if I'm honest. I had thought that I'd see the sort of typical tough guy image, sort of, um, you know, the sort of 80s and 90s, sort of, you know, you've got to be ruthless to get to the top, and you've, the emphasis would all be on the bottom line and what the shareholders get and all the rest of it, and very little thought about how it might impact the actual human beings who work in the company. But what I found instead was lots of talk on Google, you know, so think what you like about that, about humility in leadership. CEOs were encouraged to foster atmospheres of vulnerability, where feedback from staff was both welcomed and encouraged. They used words like collaborative, integrity, appreciate, humanity. And they encouraged senior leaders to promote unacknowledged other people rather than themselves. It was really quite interesting, actually. Um, it's, it's a good thing to Google. And it sounded very familiar. Could it be that the secular world was learning from the way of Jesus? Now, they might not doing it, be doing it deliberately, but it's certainly filtering into what I read. And if so, what did that say to us about our churches and Christian organisations? Were we as good at applying all those terms to our leadership? Just a question to think about. I've been in churches all my life, since I was, well, before I was born. And I worked in the NHS for a while as well. And far too often I've seen um, positions of leadership handled extremely badly, um, both in the church and outside. The fallout from that is always horrendous. This model of being a shepherd and being a leader is so attractive, and it's just so hard to get right, isn't it? And so often people want to lead from the wrong reasons, for the wrong reasons. They often do it from a place of deep personal insecurity. And especially, I think, in my experience, in churches. People want some form of power or status that they can't get at work, and so they get it in a church. And sometimes, if we're honest, the flock, that's all of us that are sat there trying to follow the leaders, don't want to be led either, let's be honest. And so they make it really difficult. Sometimes it's not just the leaders that need humility. If we're going to be led effectively, we need to be humble about it. Because if that's not the case, then the leaders who are trying to lead in a godly way feel like they are constantly under tension and being pulled both ways. It's a constant battle, and that's not what Jesus wants. So humility is something that we all need to clothe ourselves in and go on clothing ourselves with, whether we are leaders in um, industry or churches or schools or whatever, or whether we are those who are being led. We all need to be humble. Pope Francis said something really good. He said this, I am foremost a pastor to the flock, not a king. That's a sign of truly humble leadership. This is the Pope, head of the Roman Catholic Church, saying, I'm a foremost a pastor. I'm here to look after the flock. I'm not here to be a king. 
So just for a moment, and just to make sure you're all awake still, I'd like you just to turn to people relatively near you. You might have to speak up a bit because we're all keeping distance, obviously. Um, and have a chat about, have you seen this model of leadership either work well or work really badly? And have a chat about that, what, what that looked like. You've got two or three minutes. Go. Okay, so those are probably conversations you want to um, pick up later um, or have a think about um, on your own. But it's an um, interesting thing to think about. I hope none of you have had uh, Montgomery Burns as your um, leader in any shape or form. So we've been thinking about power, and we've been talking about Shepherd um, leading the flock. So the next thing that Peter then goes on to do is to remind his readers to be constantly on the lookout for enemy activity. Now, it seems like a bit of an abrupt change of pace and direction, doesn't it, really? But I think it's really timely advice. Any time that we want to become more like Jesus in any way at all, any way that we want to change the way we live our lives or how we lead others, the enemy is going to try and stop us. He is not subtle, but he is persistent. Because it's not in his plans to have us becoming more humble and more servant-hearted and more like Jesus. That's not what the devil wants. He would far rather we were really arrogant and power-crazy, frankly. That suits him down to the ground. And so he will do anything he can to thwart your attempts to live a life directed by the Holy Spirit. That's his plan. He wants to separate you off. And so Peter uses this great image of Satan prowling around the flock like a hungry lion looking for a bit of lunch. His main aim, Satan's main aim, is always to destroy what is good. And that's why it is so vital that we stay together as a flock. We stay together with the leaders, and we, that we lead from a place of humility, that we are alert to what might be going on. And that's why we need good people around us as leaders both in our workplaces and in church, to just stand with us, to pray for us, to point out where we might just be starting to go off at a bit of a tangent or to get things wrong. And it's really important that we stay firmly rooted in the faith that we say we have, building on Christ as the cornerstone, which is what Peter was talking about earlier in the letter. Now, there's a great little verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which again is Paul talking. And it says, if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. That's where the humility comes in. That's why we need to be collaborative. We need to work well with other people. That's why we need to be listening to wise advice. Because Satan will try and pick us off. And if we think we can go alone, we're fooling ourselves. Don't be under any illusions at all that he will leave you alone, just you alone. You're not that special. He will try and pick on you too, whatever you're doing. Think of some of the Christian leaders you know who, have, who thought they were invincible and fell, often spectacularly and often very publicly. It's always really sad when that happens. So we need to be constantly on our guard against what Satan is trying to do. But in the middle of all this advice and these warnings, 
there comes a beautiful little verse. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the crux of this whole thing. Underpinning all our efforts, all that we do is Jesus. He's there to carry the things for us that are too heavy for us to carry on our own. He's there to teach us, to walk with us, especially when things get tough, but he's walking with us all the time. He's got our backs when we come under attack. He's fighting for us. The Bible tells us that he's praying for us, interceding on our behalf. And he cares so much about us that he wants to relieve us of the anxiety that can come with being a shepherd. Jesus has been doing this for a long time. He knows what he's talking about. He knows it can be hard work and he wants to help. And so he wants us to bring everything to him. All the worries, all the niggles, the things that keep you up and awake at two in the morning that really are quite daft but just won't leave your head, those things. The problem is that this requires humility too, doesn't it? Because essentially, if we cast all our cares on Jesus, then we're saying, actually, Lord, I don't know how to do this. You're going to have to help me. Please, will you take over? And that's really hard for us to do. Perhaps it's harder for some of us than others. But if Jesus was humble enough to talk to his father, God, on a regular basis, to ask him what to do, what was going on, where he needed to be, then it shouldn't come as a great shock to us that we need to be humble in the same way and ask for help ourselves. If we want to lead in the way that Jesus led, then we need to follow his example in everything that he did. And that includes asking for help. So, we're at the what now, so what point of the talk. I asked you at the start how you reacted to power. And we've talked about it in relation to leadership. So now, in the light of all that we've been thinking about, all that we've been discussing... Have a think about what is your preferred way of leading people? And how do you react to being led? So, does it involve much humility? Do you clothe yourself with humility? Do I? As well, I'm talking to myself all the time here as well. Or do you prefer to be in charge and let everyone else know that you're in charge? How much of a shepherd are you? Would people look at you, wherever you work, whatever your role is, and see echoes of Jesus, the good shepherd, in your leadership style? Or are you a bit more like Genghis Khan, riding roughshod over people, sword flying, in order to get what you and your team want and need at any cost? Are you collaborative? Do you act with integrity? all the time? Do you promote the achievements of others above yourself? Are you appreciative of the efforts of everyone that you work with, including the cleaning staff and the porters and the people who work in the canteens and so on? Or if you're more often led than being a leader, how do you react to leadership? How do I react to leadership? Do we do that with humility, even if the leader 
is a whole lot less like Jesus than you might want? Or do you do your best to make life as difficult for them as possible? So we're going to finish now with a bit of time to reflect. And we've covered an awful lot of stuff this evening, I'm aware of that, and some of it might leave us feeling quite uncomfortable. And it might be that we need to come back to God and confess a lack of humility in our own leadership or in the way that we're led. So whether you lead just a couple of people, perhaps it's just a case that you're a parent and you've got some children or you've just got a couple of friends you're trying to influence. Or you might be in charge of a very large team in, in um, big industry. Think about the way that perhaps the lack of humility um, has impacted those that you've interacted with over the years. It might be that you need to ask God for courage to lead in the way that you know that you ought to. And that might mean standing up for perhaps integrity in an environment where that is not highly valued at all. It might mean taking time to evaluate what help you need to become a more godly leader. And please come and talk to either myself or Adam afterwards if you'd like some ideas about spiritual, um, spiritual directors or mentors, people like that. Or it might just mean, and I think this is really important, it might just mean being still and hearing God tell you that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that he wants to carry the anxieties that you just haven't been able to let go of. So we're going to stand together, and we're just going to take some time in the silence, perhaps a little longer than we would do, and just think some of those things through. Allow God to speak to you, allow him to comfort you and challenge you, to forgive you, and to teach you. So let's stand together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus into our world to model for us what being a shepherd looks like. Lord, we confess that we often get things wrong. We often act without humility. Lord Jesus, we ask you this evening to just speak to us in the silence. Come alongside us. Firstly, help us to know that we are loved beyond measure, that we are chosen, that we are your children, and that you are incredibly proud of us. But help us also, Lord, to listen out for words of encouragement or teaching or even rebuke about what you would want us to do next. So let's just be silent. Things that occur to me in the silence. One is that some people here tonight might need to know that God knows your name 
and is calling your name. Middle Eastern shepherds lead from the front and they know their sheep individually and they call them. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice. He knows who you are. And the second thing is, I wonder if somebody at work is feeling that like there's some situation which is just too big and it's never going to change. We sang earlier that it's grander earth has quaked before. There's nothing that God can't do and he wants to help you to lead people through that situation. If you want some prayer, we're going to sing now. Please do come forward for prayer. We have got people who are prepared to pray with you. If you're not receiving prayer yourself and people do come up and you'd like to come pray with people, that would be really helpful.